Thank you so much, praise team, for that wonderful singing. What a blessing that was this morning. And I just want to speak a word of encouragement regarding small groups. Uh, we have a small group on Sunday night that meets at the kiddos' home, and we just have a wonderful time. We've grown to love each other very, very deeply. And so uh, if you are not a part of a small group, please uh, fill out that form, turn it in, and you'll be very, very blessed if you do that. Well, this morning, I'd like to begin with a statement by Steve Saint that I want us to consider for a moment. And the statement is this, your story is the greatest legacy that you will leave to your friends. It's the longest lasting legacy you will leave to your heirs. Steve Saint knows something about leaving a legacy. His father, Nate died a martyr's death while Steve was a small boy. And then in the year 2000, his college-age daughter, Stephanie, died unexpectedly of a brain hemorrhage within nine hours of returning from a summer on the mission field. And so Steve Saint knows a little bit about what's important. And I think what he says about legacy rings true. Our story is who we are and what we have become. And that will speak the loudest, and it will speak the longest of anything that we pass on. Uh, After everything else has faded away, our money, our house, our cars, our story keeps on speaking. And so this morning, as we think about this, what would we want included in our story that we would pass on to those coming behind. What would you say today, this is what I learned and I incorporated into my life because I want to leave this to those who are following after me. Well, this morning as we continue in Genesis 49, we have been learning that this chapter really is about legacy. It's about the life lessons that we can leave in our legacy that we have learned. And you remember last Sunday as we began this chapter, we saw the nature of Jacob's predictions in Genesis 49. And now this morning, we want to look at the lessons about leaving a legacy that he teaches us in this wonderful chapter. And so take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis 49 and the chair Bible in front of you. It would be about page 49, and let's look at part two, shall we, of this chapter that is about the legacy of Jacob's 12 sons that they left to their tribes. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, again, we have the first really Hebrew poem in the entire Bible laid before us here. And we know that the reason this is put in poetry form is because poetry is easier to remember. And so the lessons here are so significant that you directed your servant Jacob, the patriarch, to put them in poetic form so that we might not miss what you want to teach us. Help us now to let your word burn deeply into our hearts that we might be changed for your glory and honor. 
and for all those who are coming behind us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice that, first of all, as we look at the lessons of legacy, one of the things we want to leave to coming up generations is that we took the nature of sin very seriously. Look with me at verse 3 of Genesis 49. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers, weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel, O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob, and I will scatter them in Israel. Now Jacob begins here with the three oldest brothers. And as the oldest, they all had very much to gain. What they had set in front of them was leadership, a double inheritance being passed to them, the respect and prestige that should have been theirs. But they lost all of those blessings that were given to other sons because of sin. Notice what was said to Reuben. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn of the twelve, and he was the heir to incredible privileges. If you look at verse 3, as the oldest, Jacob says he was the first fruits of his reproductive powers. That's what he means by my strength and my power, my might, that Reuben was the very first one to come from his loins. Notice he was destined for preeminence. Verse 3 says preeminence in dignity, that means exalted in rank, and preeminence in power, that has to do with personal strength. And so what Reuben should have been was a leader who was exhibiting personal strength over himself and personal strength in the sight of those he would have been privileged to lead. But did you notice why he lost this? Verse 4 says he turned out to be unstable as water. All of us know that water is very powerful and it is very constructive if it is channeled, directed, and controlled. But we also know about water if it's uncontrolled, like a raging flood. It unleashes not constructive consequences, but destructive consequences. What is Jacob referring to in verse 4 when he says, you went up to your father's bed? Well, if you would take time to look back at Genesis 35:22, he is referring to the time when Reuben committed incest with Billah, who was a secondary wife of Jacob. 
And in that act, Reuben allowed sinful impulses free reign in his life, and he acted with reckless abandon. He didn't show the discipline, the character, the self-control expected of a leader. And it was such a profaning of his father's honor that that dishonor could not be nullified. If you went up to a person who was deserving of honor and you spit in their face, you can be forgiven of that. You will be forgiven of that if you ask for forgiveness. But that dishonor cannot be erased, can it? That dishonor remains. And the wordplay in verse 4 shows the sad result with Reuben. Uh, He was deserving of a double preeminence by being the firstborn, but notice all of that was reversed in verse 4, to no preeminence, to no preeminence. So now the leadership and the double inheritance should have passed on to Simeon, And then Levi. But they also forfeited it as well. Verses 5 to 7 are reminding us that Simeon and Levi slaughtered all the men in a city in revenge for the rape of their sister Dinah by one man. You'll notice here in verses 5 through 7 that Jacob says about these two sons of his that they were so angry and so wrathful that they erupted in verse 5 into mob-like violence. The word violence there refers to criminal homicide. They essentially enacted vigilante justice. They took the law into their own hands and they wantonly massacred an entire town of all the men. And Jacob in verse 7 says that so fierce and cruel were they that they actually hamstrung the innocent oxen in that town. Now I tell you this, that is heartless brutality. And it was fueled by vengeful rage. And so what does Jacob do? He utters a curse against them. And in verse 7 he says, They will be divided and scattered in Israel. What they could have looked forward to was lost. Now I want to just stop here for a moment because if this is about our legacy, then what is the Lord teaching us? And I think He is teaching us that as believers, one of the things we want to pass on is in our life we took very seriously the nature of sin. I want you to notice a couple of things that are clearly taught here about the nature of sin. And we need to grasp hold of them. And do the people that know me, are the people that are looking up to me, do they see that I treat sin in my life 
and in the lives of others this seriously. Number one, sin is never harmless. It's never harmless. It always causes damage to someone. Earlier in Genesis, uh, the Lord warned another young man about sin. His name was Cain, and he committed the first murder. And here's what God said to him. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And you'll notice here that sin is like a wild animal or like a wild fire ready to pounce, maim, destroy, and kill. And all of us know if that wildfire gets loose behind that door, there is tremendous, tremendous damage that it will do. We just heard this morning about a former pastor of my wife whose family moved out to Paradise, California. And the whole town practically wiped out in a day. Their house burned down. And they lost everything. And what the Lord is saying to us is that is what sin is like. This week uh, I read this statement from uh, a formerly well-known Midwest pastor who has passed on many years ago, J.R. Miller. And listen to what Pastor Miller said. He said, it is easier to do harm than good to others' lives. And I thought to myself, have I ever thought of it that way? That was just a new way of putting it. It is easier to sin against others. What is hard is not sinning against them. That's what's difficult. And that's why we need a Savior who alone can save us from our sins. And that's why we must walk with that Savior on a daily basis because only He can fortify our lives in this world against sin. Notice the second thing about the nature of sin. Number two, some sins bring lasting consequences that cannot be undone. That's very clear here with these three older brothers, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. I want you to notice for just a moment the map that we looked at last week of the tribes of Israel. If you look very carefully, you will notice something. You'll notice that Levi received no grant of land at all. Did you notice that? Years later, they received cities amongst the other tribes, but no land grant for Levi at all. And then if you look at Simeon, Simeon eventually became the weakest tribe, and they lost their identity to the tribe of Judah. Eventually, Simeon was swallowed by the tribe of Judah. And you say, Pastor, what about Reuben? It is hard to find any member of the tribe of Reuben who distinguished himself as a leader. Look through your Bibles. It's hard to find one. And so all three tribes, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, 
were eliminated from the power and prestige of leadership. And what God is teaching us is this. Some sins bring lasting consequences. And sometimes those consequences cannot be undone. This week I read a statement from Pastor Charles Spurgeon, and he said this, If you dash your head against a rock, it will not soften for your sake. We all know that's true, don't we? If I go out and bang my head against a rock, it's not going to get softer because of me. And Spurgeon continued, And certain results follow from sinful courses of action, inevitably and as a matter of course. God's wisdom has rightly ordained the consequences of sin. And those who follow us, they need to know that we take sin very, very seriously. It's a legacy that we want to leave to others in our life. Now, as we continue and we move along, we notice that after the first three, the next brother that receives the most attention is Judah. And here's a lesson that we learn about legacy from Judah, redemption and reformation are possible for all. Isn't that good news to hear this morning? Look down with me at what the Bible says about Judah, verse 8. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Does this surprise you? The leadership of the family passed on to Judah. And don't you want to say this morning, Judah? <laughs> Judah? I mean, he, he, it was his idea to sell his brother into slavery. He fathered two sons through an act of prostitution. And we want to say, Judah, you're kidding me. Out of his tribe is going to come King David and ultimately Jesus who the book of Revelation says he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah. What a remarkable transformation this is. What a remarkable transformation. What led to the transformation of Judah? Well, let me take you back for just a little bit through some of the things that we have seen. And let's see what led to this transformation. Number one, he confessed his sin. Go back to chapter 38 for just a moment. And remember in the sinful incident with Tamar, his daughter-in-law, what Judah said. Look at verse 26 of chapter 38. 
And when Judah identified the items that revealed he had been the one who engaged in this sin with Tamar, look at what it says. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I. And look what he did. He stopped pointing his finger at her. And he took the blame that he deserved. All spiritual change begins with being honest about our sin. Let me just say that again. All spiritual change begins with being honest about our sin. These verses in 1 John are verses, we know verse 9 very well. But verse 8 and verse 10, we perhaps do not know as well. Look at what it says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Now we all know about verse 9, and we're so grateful that God is this kind of a God. But you know what verses 8 and 10 do? They prohibit us from getting to verse 9. And by the way, look how serious this is. The denial of sin, the failure to be honest and forthright about it. Verse 8 says, if we do that, we're deceiving ourselves. It says the truth isn't even in us. Verse 10, it says, we've made God a liar. And His Word is not in us. Brothers and sisters, those are serious, serious things. And when Judah got to verse 9, and he said, I'm going to stop blaming you. And I'm going to point the finger at me. You have been more righteous than I am. That began his transformation. Notice next, he experienced a heart change. Look over at chapter 43. And verses 8 and 9. And now he has to bring his youngest brother, Benjamin, back. And his father doesn't want to allow him to go. And he says, I've already lost two sons. I don't want to lose another one. And notice what Judah does, how he steps up. Verse 8, And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Look at those words. Earlier it was all about him. What he wanted. He left the family and he married a Canaanite wife. 
But now he pledges his honor. It's all about others. It's about we. It's about you. It's about our little ones. It's no longer about I looking out for number one. His heart was changed. Pastor Warren Wiersbe has said this, Judah had made some mistakes, but he had also made some things right with his father and his family. And that was the difference between him and his three older brothers. And then look and notice that he turned to God. He turned to God. Look at chapter 44 and and notice verse 16. And now Joseph is threatening to keep Benjamin and send the rest of the brothers home And notice what Judah now says, chapter 44, verse 16. And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Do you know this is only the second time now the brothers mention God? What is Judah doing? He's getting right with God. He's getting right with God. And he so got right with God that look down at what he says in verses 33 and 34. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. And Judah now becomes the first example in the Bible of substitutionary sacrifice. He offered himself instead of his brother. You remember what Jesus said in John 15, 13? He said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And what is Judah now doing? Exhibiting God's love. No wonder Jesus came from Judah's tribe. Judah became an example of his greatest descendant who laid down his life for us. Look at this. No one is unredeemable. Anyone can reform their lives if they accept God's grace. What was is not what has to continue. New life in Christ can change us. And what a legacy to leave to His descendants. A wonderful legacy that He was redeemed and reformed. If you were to ask me what is my favorite movie, I would tell you that my favorite movie is the True Life movie, Free Forever. Free Forever is about Anthony Zioli. As a young man, he was in and out of prison. He was a thief. He was a drug addict. He was never able to go straight. Finally, he found himself in the Philadelphia Penitentiary, and it was there that someone sent him a New Testament 
And there he learned about Christ. And there he trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. When he was finally released from prison, he said to the guard, he said, you don't need to worry about me. I will not be back. He memorized so much scripture, he became known as the walking Bible And he preached all over the United States. Eventually, he founded gospel films that reached multitudes through their films. His son became a spiritual advisor to President Gerald Ford. And I love what the caption says about this movie. There he is as a young man being taken away in the police wagon on his way to reform and and the penitentiary. And here's what the caption says. From the edge of despair to the triumph of true freedom, Anthony Zioli's life is captivating proof of how God completely changes lives. And if there's a legacy that we want to leave for those that have come behind us, It's a legacy that God, by His grace, can redeem us and reform us if we will accept His grace. What an amazing story is the life of Judah. Let's look at one other. As we look at this poem on the legacy of these sons, the next major figure is Joseph. And Joseph teaches us this, enjoying God's blessings is the fruit of faithfulness. Enjoying God's blessings is the fruit of faithfulness. Drop down with me to verse 22. You may remember this is the very first passage that we uh, preached on in this entire series. Look at it. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile. By the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, Blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. Now I want you to notice something about these blessings, two incredible things about them. Number one, six times the word bless or blessings appears in verses 25 and 26. You know what this is telling us? Joseph would receive more blessings than all his brothers. And we say, why? It's because he had been more faithful. And because he had been more faithful, he would receive more rewards. And then I want you to notice the second thing that's incredible. These blessings would last for eternity. 
Did you notice in verse 26, they are compared to everlasting hills. In the ancient world, mountains were thought to last forever. So what the Lord is saying is the blessings of a faithful life will last into eternity. Now, I want you to get this this morning. All 12 brothers would be in heaven, right? That's right. All of their descendants would enter the promised land, right? That is right. They all had descendants in the promised land. But Joseph experienced the abundant life more than all the rest. What did Jesus say? I've come that they might have life. Every believer has that life. And that they might have it how? More abundantly. What is God teaching us? Joseph experienced the abundant life because he had been faithful to God. You see, we all can be transformed and reformed by the grace of God. But the abundant life, the full life, the life of the kind of blessings that God wants to give, the spiritual richness, is for those who are faithful. Now, how did Joseph then experience this abundant life? Well, I want you to notice a couple of things. Joseph knew that God would be faithful to him. In verses 24 and 25, we have five descriptions of God. It is the most descriptions of God in a cluster like this in the whole book of Genesis. And Joseph knew that this God would be faithful to him. The Mighty One, the Shepherd, the Stone of Israel, the God of your Father, the Almighty. Joseph knew He will help you. He will be faithful to you and bless you. And then notice, secondly, because of that, Joseph sank deep, deep roots into his relationship with the Lord. In verse 22, he is described as a fruitful vine by a spring. And we all know what makes a tree by a spring fruitful. It sends deep roots down into that water source. And as a result of that, becomes very strong and fruitful. And then the third thing we learn here about Joseph is this. He was faithful because out of that God made him strong. Verse 24, his arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. Now can we put these together again this morning? Joseph knew God would be faithful to him. Because he knew that, he sank deep roots into his relationship with God. He walked with God. He cultivated a life with God. And out of that, God made him strong. And whenever that happens, God's blessings will be enjoyed. Because they're the fruit of our faithfulness. You know, as I thought about this, 
it reminded me of Psalm 1. It's interesting that this is how the whole book of Psalms, which is all poetry, begins. And if you read this and see what it says, it's exactly the way that Jacob describes Joseph, and no wonder Joseph prospered. Whatever he did prospered. Yes, he had a rough life. Yes, he had a difficult life. Yes, he had problems and sorrows and difficulties. But in the end, he prospered in the best ways because he lived this kind of life. Let's read it together, shall we? Join me as we read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Let's bow together, shall we, in prayer. Father, help us to be like this person thank you that no one here is beyond your redemption no one here has a life that cannot be reformed thank you that the grace of God that changed Judah changes us. But Lord, help us to remember there are consequences to sin. Things that we could have been blessed with, we can lose. Because of following a destructive path of sin. And then teach us, Lord, that while there is an eternal life to gain in Christ, there's an abundant life to live now. And that abundant life can only come when we are faithful to You. You have promised to be faithful to us. That is not the problem. The issue is, will we be faithful to you? Thank you today for taking us again into your word, teaching us the kind of legacy that you want us to leave. And we pray that all those that are following us will see in us the lessons 
in these sons. We'll be so grateful. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that you know Christ as Lord and Savior. You can turn to Him now. Whatever wrongs you've done, whatever things you have messed up in, Jesus will forgive you, receive you, cleanse you, and make you a child of God. Maybe today you have regrets about what could have been. Leave those regrets with God. If there is something that He has taken from you, that's His business. Let Him be God in your life. And you submit to His purposes and His will. And then follow Him today. Decide that you are going to get to know this God who has become so faithful. That you're not going to be shallow, but send down deep roots into who He is and how He has revealed Himself. And you're going to want the abundant life. The life that comes from faithfulness. Lord God, whatever the need is today, stir our hearts by your word. Draw us to the change you desire for us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.